You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Uh, we've been working through our series, Sex, Etc., looking at different aspects of sexuality and relationships. And I'm uh, this morning speaking uh, on marriage, the second of two messages. Tim uh, spoke about uh, marriage last week. I wasn't here, so if I repeat anything he said, take it that God wants to underline that point to you. Okay, really wants to drill that point home. But my text this morning is from Hebrews 13, and uh, it says this, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Cheerful text. For today, but we, we want to be unflinching in the face of Scripture. This is what Scripture says, okay? And uh, we, we preach a gospel of grace. We serve a God of grace. But uh, we also want to conform to the God of all truth. Marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed should be kept pure. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So it's in our best interests to figure this out and how this applies to us. Let's just start by looking at some of the, uh, the latest uh, marriage and divorce statistics. <laughs> We're starting quite low here, then we'll build up, all right? Because it doesn't make a happy read. 39% in the UK of all marriages end in divorce. That's two out of five marriages end in divorce. 13 divorces an hour granted in England and Wales. Most divorces are among people in the first 10 years of their marriage. The peak of the statistics is within the first three to six years of marriage. So it's helpful for us just to be mindful that those early years of marriage are very, very uh, vulnerable years at times. We want to really invest and care for, be proactive in helping protect marriages among us here, those among us that we know who are Married. If you're an older, more established married couple, maybe there's a younger married couple in the congregation and you think, let's just have them around for a meal. Ask them how they're doing. Encourage them. Because we know it's a tough uh, environment at times to navigate in the world that we live in today. There are 12.3 million married couples in the UK, another 3 million couples who live together without being married. Um, and here's one. There are almost 2 million single parents And this statistic is sobering. The UK, as our nation, has the highest rates of family breakdown in the Western world. Yeah, people beating down the door to try to get to our nation. We have the highest rates of family breakdown in the Western world, with only 69% of children living with their mother and father together. This compares with nations such as Finland, where 95% of children live with their mother and father. In Italy, 92% of children live with their mother and father. Yeah, But in our nation, 69%. We have an increasingly large generation of fatherless children. And that's going to rebound on us. And we're here to reach these people. So what these stats tell us is that we are at the moment in a culture that is not particularly honouring marriage. Whereas God honours marriage, and he wants us 
to honor marriage, all of us, whether you're here today as a single person, whether you're here as a, a courting couple, whether you're here as a married couple, whether you're in a, whatever circumstance of life you're in, God calls us all to honor marriage. It's his idea. It's a gift of God to us at creation for the whole of humanity. Marriage gives us the amazing honor of representing Christ's intimate union with his church. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And uh, we'll come on to this soon uh, about the implications of this for us as we represent marriage in our culture. Marriage is a covenant. It's been given the status of covenant by God. It's a permanent commitment, an honored, serious, lifelong commitment. So God honors marriage. As a church here, we put a very high value on marriage. And this morning, our text has a message from God for all of us that we should all honor marriage. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, First of all, this is God's word to the unmarried. So you may be uh, single among us here today. Um, I don't want to drill too deep into this because Tom's going to be unpacking this, I think, next week or very, very shortly he'll be looking at this. Um, you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm a single person. This isn't really relevant to me. Okay, this is not so relevant to me. Well, I want to appeal to you that this may seem more relevant than you first imagine. Uh, marriage could even be quite a sensitive issue uh, if you've never married, but it's still important for you to consider this. Uh, here's the two things you need to consider. First of all, singleness is neither inferior nor superior to being married. Yeah, you got that? Yes, Morris. I'm. Thank you, Mahat. You come again, young man. The thing is, I know. I know. When I say these things, I am speaking into a hurricane. You know, I'm like sort of uh, in the Arctic, like this, and my culture is going whoa, and I'm saying <laughs> pushing it back. Hey, singleness is not an inferior status. It really isn't. And yet your culture will tell you very, very differently. Okay? We've got to get your head around this. Whose report are you going to believe? Whose voice is more important to you? Facebook or the Word of God? (laughs) Yeah? Television or people who are trying to help you understand the Word of God for your life? In 1 Corinthians 7, it goes into quite a lot of detail about this. I'm going to leave that for Tom to look at, but the decision to remain unmarried is is described as good. It's a good decision to remain unmarried because you can give yourself to the things of God more seriously and not be distracted by all that stuff about marriage. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be married. I'm just saying God doesn't somehow see that your life is not complete if you're not married. No, it's it's not inferior or superior. Or superior. It's a, an intrinsically noble, honourable status in life to be single. It's not better or worse than being married. Jesus himself was never married. That honours singleness. But he also honoured marriage. So we just need to be mindful that we're in a culture that sees it, that there's something wrong with you if you're single. Am I, uh, uh, is that a fair appraisal? You know? And if you're single and you don't have sex, then you're weird. Actually, you're weird. Well, you've got all these urges. You've got you know, all these things to fulfill. So you're single and you don't have sex. Well, you must be a bit weird. Well, you know, many of us will know 
impressive single people who would like to get married, but honouring God first is more important to them. Yeah? And so we mustn't allow ourselves to be sucked into this way of thinking. Secondly, you're not half a person if you're single. And uh, I was very helpful. I was listening to a friend of mine, John Wilthew, who was preaching on this text, and he was saying that this idea that we're half a person if we're single is, is more rooted in Greek mythology than in biblical theology. Yeah? And here's why. Here's a little lesson on Greek mythology for you today. Zeus, the head of the Greek pantheon, was annoyed with humanity, and he cut them in half and destined them to live unfulfilled until they found their other half. Okay? So you can occasionally hear, we sometimes talk about our other half, um, our better half. This is not a biblical mindset. You are not complete when you get married. You're complete when you're found in Christ. Okay? Very, very important that we understand that. Your deepest needs will not be fulfilled when you get married. Your deepest needs will be fulfilled in Christ. And so you can be married, but not in Christ, or your needs won't be met. You can be single in Christ, your needs will be met. Our needs are met in Christ, they're not met. Uh, we're only complete when we know Jesus. So as I say, you know, we need to honour those who are single, and we need to, in the same way that people who are single, honour those who are married, and... You know, I'm so impressed with single people who desire to be married but put Jesus as more important to them. You know, the, the, those imagining that marriage will meet their deepest needs are going to be disappointed. It's an unrealistic view of marriage. Only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. And we do not honor marriage by putting it in place of Jesus. So single people, marriage is to be honored by all. Secondly, for... Um, Courting couples. Now, in the first service, you had a little bit of a debate about uh, this uh, vocabulary. And uh, I was going to say, you know, in my day, we talked about going out. We used to go out with someone. And I was told, no, that's not the vocabulary for today. You should be a, 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 maybe an item. And then someone, a young person came up to me and said, no, it's okay to say you're going out and so on. So uh, just to give, help me out here, just so I can be a little bit relevant to my, uh, my, my audience here. What's the right terminology for people who are not yet married, but they're... Going out. What's the right? Is that all right? Is that the right vocabulary to use? Any improvement on that vocabulary? No? That's all right. Going out. That's all right, yeah? Thumbs up from young ladies on the back row there. Okay. So this is God's word to those who are going out, all right? <laughs> okay. First of all, sex is for marriage. Okay? And... Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised sometimes how often this gets contested. As if somehow, you know, God is this big killjoy in heaven. And he's saying, Morris, make the people miserable. <laughs> Tell them sex is for marriage so they can all be miserable with you. And I'm thinking, what on earth do you think is God's motivation here? What is it? Whose voice are you listening to? Who's conditioning your appetites and behavior here? It's not popular to say that sex is for marriage. The media, popular culture, is telling you all the time the opposite. But this is undeniably the biblical 
perspective. Sex is God's wedding present to a married couple. Sex is the monogamous sex in a godly marriage is what cements marriage. Um, The trouble is many people like to try and open their presents a little bit early. And it's huge temptation on us. These are very strong urges and emotions that we're handling and dealing with. But it's a question of thinking, well, what exactly are we trying to achieve here? Is it just, am I just trying to achieve my gratification? Am I just trying to see my needs fulfilled? Or do I want to honor God with my life? And do I trust God that if he puts some boundaries in my life, actually, that's for my good? It's for my good. It's not because he's saying, well, I, I'm just going to do this to spite you. <laughs> you know, all these other people are going to have fun having as much sex as they want with whoever they want, but not you. No, no, no. You've got to be miserable. Or is it possibly, could it possibly entertain this idea for one moment that actually God knows what's best for us? You say, actually, no, this is going to be a precious thing that you share with one person that will help cement your relationship. And if you rush into physical intimacy too soon, perhaps you won't have the opportunity to develop the emotional intimacy that's so important for a long-lasting marriage. The sense of destiny intimacy. Why are we doing this? What's our shared purpose in life together? The sense of intellectual and spiritual intimacy that is so important, layers of foundations in our marriage... And the consummation, that is that which fulfills all, is physical intimacy. Consummates the rest. And maybe God just knows us better. And is saying, this is going to be better for you. If you just hold back on this. And preserve that for your marriage. So, I'm just... You can disagree with me, all right? You can, you're entirely free to disagree with me and say, look, I don't care. Sex, you know, is just, it's fun. I can't see the problem with it, you know, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You can disagree with me, but you can't tell me that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that God's best intention for us is to preserve sex for marriage in a monogamous married relationship. And if that is his suggestion or advice or counsel or instruction then I'm not going to argue with God so all I can do is present that to you you can disagree with me but don't try and tell me that's not what God is saying because God is saying that okay God is saying that this is a precious thing to be preserved only for marriage so it really does matter it really does matter that we God that we trust that God has got the best for us in these things you know, if we're fooling around with someone, we could be sleeping with another man's future wife or another woman's future husband. You know, who, uh, we are slaves to God. We're not slaves to our culture. Neither are we slaves to our urges. So I just appeal to you. Trust God that he's got the best for you in this. Yeah, he's not trying to uh, kill your joy. Believe me. There's much joy to enjoy in a, a faithful, monogamous, physically intimate relationship with your husband or your wife. Uh, he's not trying to withhold anything from you. He's just saying, hey, this is going to be good for you. And just imagine, just imagine. Oh, no, we'll come back to that. <laughs> you can imagine that in a minute, all right? <laughs> Marriages for life. Approach it seriously. 
Romance and physical attraction is important, but they're not enough. If you are a Christian and you're thinking of marrying someone, you've got some serious questions to address. Yeah, you really have. And I'm surprised how quickly people can skate over this. Our culture skates over this about, you know, building a life with someone that you're courting and thinking, right, we want to build a life. You know, how much time do we spend thinking about our marriage compared to how much time we spend thinking about our wedding, for example? So culture will tell you this. Have you seen many programs on the channels of television that say, uh, preparing for six decades of destiny together? You seen that? Maybe you've seen a program saying, what dress would you like to wear <laughs> on your wedding day? How many programs are there on television about what dress to wear on your wedding day? Fascinating. I mean, I'm not going to diminish it. I'm not going to say that, that there's anything wrong with uh, enjoying our wedding day, although as a bloke, I do struggle to get my head around it. Well, you wear a suit, don't you? A suit. Wedding suit. You wear a suit. Yeah. Ladies, dress. Well, it's a dress. Oh, you can, <laughs> you can explain it to me later, ladies. <laughs> yeah, our culture's fascinated by that. They're fascinated by the perfect day. I want to appeal to you, if you're thinking about getting married, to be fascinated about the next 60 years. Yeah? You're going to build a life together. What's the destiny? What's the purpose? romance and intimacy, all these beautiful things, they add all the colour and texture to the fact that... I, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 7, when it's talking about the fact that actually it's better not to get married, Paul's saying, <laughs> better not to get married, there's more important things to get on with. It's quite a sobering passage of scripture. So actually, the things of the kingdom, the problem with being married is that you're too bothered trying to sort your wife or your husband out when you could be getting on with the things of the kingdom, like these single people who are free to get on with this. I'm just paraphrasing what he says. Read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians 7. The point I take from that is that purpose and destiny are intrinsically essential for a long-lasting monogamous marriage. That You're not just marrying someone to fulfill your needs. You're not just marrying someone because they make you flutter. You know? <laughs> you're marrying someone because you think, hey, we're going to build something together. We're going to share something together. We're going to build a safe place for a family and raise children in the fear of God. And we're going to serve the purposes of God to the ends of the earth. And we're going to do this together. And that's why we want to get married. So please ask each other these questions. Is Jesus going to be at the center of this relationship? Is this man or this woman, are they sold out for God? When you're engaged, give more time to preparing for your marriage than preparing for your wedding. Okay. Marriage should be honoured by all. Now, we can't, we can't go through these issues without bumping into the fact that, that this is a difficult subject for some of the people in this room here. Okay? So we've talked about marriage to be honoured by single people. We've talked about marriage to be honoured by people who are courting or going out. Items. Those for whom Facebook tells you that you're in a relationship. But it's going to be difficult. There's two kinds of hurting people in the room as I speak about these things. First, there's going to be the hurt of the widow or the widower after a happy marriage. I don't know who there may be in this room. Um, 
I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but anyone for whom it's painful to think about marriage and to think about loss. Grief is a, is a long journey. I mean, my mother, she died I can't, eight, nine years ago. My father is still pulling out from the other end of grief. You, know. you, never, you never get over it. Don't pretend. You know, you'll never get over it. Um, but I just want to say, God is with you. you know, even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you. As you process bereavement, God is with you. And in the middle of your pain and, and the despair of loss, if you are someone here who's lost a, a married partner and you're widowed in this way, I want you to find the time to take satisfaction that you fulfilled your covenant promise. Yeah? Because that is so... I don't think we're going to underestimate how precious that is to God, that you've kept your covenant promise. Till death us do part, through sickness and health. You know, if you nursed a loved one through a terminal illness, if you, you know, through better for better for worse, through in sickness and in health, until death parts us. You've been faithful to your covenant promises, and God is a covenant God. He'll be faithful to you. So I just, it's just a word to any here who may be hurting, that uh, no one can exaggerate the pain of bereavement when you lose a a life partner in that way. But uh, take satisfaction that you have honoured God and maintained your covenant promise. And then there's those here who have inevitably among us who have been through the pain and the devastation of divorce. And I just want to briefly say to you, please, I appeal to you, you know, no one is here to judge anyone. That's not our game here to judge anyone. But it's so easy when we've been through that, whether you feel it was your responsibility, you let yourself down, whether it was someone, someone else's responsibility and you feel let down. The, the absolute critical issue here is don't back off from God. Okay? If we are a healthy church, we're going to be full of broken people. <laughs> if we're a healthy church, we're going to be full of broken people. You know, that God is healing and restoring and transforming and cleaning up. So there's no, no shame for you to be here as a broken person. All right? My appeal to you is, you know, okay, whose responsibility? You know, that, that's a, another discussion. I'm just saying, if you back off from God, you back off from the one source of help that you have. Yeah, you can surround yourself with mates who will agree with you. Yeah, you did the right thing or yeah, or whatever. whatever. No, it doesn't matter. You've got to press into God. It's the grace of God, his unconditional mercy and grace and love that can comfort us and heal us and make us whole again. Okay, so when you get hurt over marriage or anything else, you're faced with a choice. Are you going to trust God or are you going to submit to your feelings and your circumstances, all of which will be telling you to give in to the hurt. No, you can overcome that hurt. You'll walk with a limp. You know, Jacob wrestled with God, but he walks with a limp. He always knew that. But he was healed and he was helped. Yeah? So this is God's word to the hurting. Finally, to every married couple here. This is God's word to every married couple. Okay, there is an emphasis in our text which we cannot duck away from. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. 
Okay? So this is now God's word to the married here. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So we have to face up to that. You honor marriage. So the ma- those of us who are married, we honor marriage by sexual faithfulness. Your exclusive one flesh union. The problem we're facing, someone put it like this. Uh, I find it quite helpful. Is In marriage, as marriage goes on, there's a greater temptation to outsource romance and sex. So men can outsource sex to uh, some apparently attractive lady on a screen. Uh, women can outsource romance to this dashing man who's going to come and sweep her off her feet and carry her away from all these problems. Yeah? And we can spend ourselves in our lives in a marriage living in a fantasy. We're just fantasizing about someone else who's going to satisfy whatever needs we feel we have and this is very dangerous territory it's very dangerous territory to outsource your appetites for sex and romance adultery is very serious it's possible for a marriage again by the grace of god to be restored after sexual unfaithfulness but it is a long and slow and painful painful process it really is Uh, and but none of us are exempt from temptation so how do we do this how do we protect ourselves it makes it all the more important to invest in your marriage and just in my last few minutes i'm just going to talk about how do we honor marriage how do we invest in our marriage how do we make sure that we're protected from the things that could undermine and destabilize our marriages marriage can be highly pressurized there's some seasons of life that are really highly pressured when you have a young family financial pressures pressures from work your elders coming and ask you to serve on another team. You know, all these things can put pressures on marriage. So how can we keep investing in our marriage? Well, we have to recognize that married love involves a series of tensions. Okay? So a series of tensions that we have to face up to. First of all, love Married love is realistic, but it is also romantic. Okay, realistic. They tell us that love is blind. And then when you get married, you suddenly your eyes are open. <laughs> you suddenly realize who it is that you're married to. And you think, oh, you're not perfect. But I thought, I thought I married the perfect woman. What do you mean I'm not perfect? You know, we have to accept the fact that we're not perfect. We have to accept this as an indisputable fact. If anybody wants to come and chat with me afterwards about the fact that they're making a claim to their own perfection in marriage, I'm very happy to put you wrong. (laughs) Challenges are going to come. You are going to disagree. There are things about each other you're not going to like. There are things about each other you wish you could change that are not going to change very easily or very quickly. I have... uh, married a remarkable woman, one of the, the most remarkable attributes of my wife, Rachel, is that she retains in her mind me on a good day. <laughs> she carries around with her, when she's thinking about me and reflecting about me, somehow, I don't know how she does it, but she just carries around with her all the things about me that I would like her to remember. And this enables her to deal with and process all the things about me that I'd rather she'd forget. (laughs) 
I don't know how she does it, but I want to commend this thought to you, okay? I've learned from this. I've learned. I want, I want to keep rehearsing the things about Rachel that are admirable in the same way that she constantly rehearses the things about me that she finds admirable. I find her talking about me to other people sometimes, and I have to think, who's she talking about? You know, oh, she's, talking about she's talking about me on a good day. That's what she's talking about. And that, to Rachel, that's who I am. I'm me on a good day. And that helps her deal with the other side of my nature, which isn't always quite so easy to live with. And I've learned to do this as well. So I want to keep reminding my children, and I keep reminding my friends, and I keep reminding everybody that knows us, these are the things about Rachel that are admirable. I want to look at my wife through that lens. Because that is as much about being realistic. If all we can ever talk about is our wife or husband's bad day points, that's not, that is being as unrealistic, you know, as, as being blind to that. We, the reality is we're going to face things about each other that we don't like. But if we focus on those and that becomes the lens through which we interpret our marriage, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. You know, those things that are worthy, those things that are pure, those things that are honourable, think on these things. Think about your wife or your husband. Think about what is it that is honourable and worthy about this person. And you might, you know, you meet sometimes who can't think of anything. Well, you're not trying. <laughs> you're not trying. I could think of ten things before you thought of one about your husband or your wife because it's not difficult to do that if you really want to do that. Honestly, 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 if two godly people want to make a marriage work, they can make it work. Honestly, I've said this before from here. I'll say it again. You know, two people with Jesus in their heart want to make a marriage work, they can make it work. One of the tragedies of pastoral ministry is when you've got one person who really wants to make a marriage work and the other is given up. It's a tragedy. Because you're thinking, this person whose heart is saying, I really want to make this work, it's a tragedy. If two people really want to make it work, they can make it work. All right? Don't believe any lie. Marriages fail because someone gives up. All right? Or because someone will not surrender to God and live a godly life and take godly responsibility. So realistic and romantic. I must confess. <laughs> I am not the most romantic man on the planet. Fair comment, darling? I don't know. Oh, I'm very romantic. <laughs> On a good day. <laughs> I have a good day every now and then. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but romance takes planning. It takes careful thought. It, I'm, I am the master of the grand gesture. Yeah. But um, I'm not so good at the little and often, thinking the little and often. I remember reading, there's a fantastic series of videos that you can find on YouTube about marriage. I've forgotten the name at the moment of the guy. Mark Gungor, that's his name. And uh, he talks about the fact that men think giving their wife a bunch of 24 roses is like the, the ultimate romantic gesture. Whereas women think having one rose a week for 24 weeks <laughs> is much preferable than just having one big bunch of roses that I get to die after a week. But men think, job done for 24 weeks. Ding! <laughs> you know? 
Whereas a woman, every time they get the rose, each week they go, oh, a rose, you know. And, and he talks about how you, can, how you can accumulate points. It's fascinating. He really understands women. I must watch that video again. How to, he said, don't just take your woman out or your wife out for a meal. He said, tell her you're going to take her out for a meal. And then she goes and tells her friends, and you've got a point already. Because she's told her friends you're taking her out for a meal. Don't tell her where you're going. Tell her later where you're going. She'll go and tell her friends where you're going. You get another point, and then you go for the meal. You've got three points for the price of one. <laughs> oh, dear. It takes thought. So marriage is realistic and romantic. Marriage is exclusive and inclusive. There are some things that are special just between the two of you and are to be preserved and to take time to celebrate the fact that those things are there. I, I've said this to my children. I, I say it regularly. And some of you will be offended when I say this. I say, my relationship with your mother is more important than my relationship with you. Because <laughs> she came first. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this one. All right? Okay? So I have to invest in this relationship because it will be good for you. If I spend all my time just trying to make sure that I have happy children and don't invest in my marriage, I will have unhappy children. If I invest in my marriage and make sure my marriage is healthy, I will have happy children. Okay? So it's very important that you preserve that time, things that you do. Yeah? Sorry, kids. No. I need time with your mum. All right? So that sort of exclusivity is very important. But inclusivity is very important as well. I think this is really important, particularly for those of you who are courting here. I want to say this to you. I, a measure for me of a healthy relationship is that when you are in relationship with someone, it makes you more of a person, not less of a person. And I think it's really sad when you see two people come together and they sort of go off the radar. They sort of consume each other. <laughs> I think a sign of a healthy relationship is it makes you more. It amplifies who you are. It doesn't diminish who you are. And, uh, you know, I, not, I don't think anybody here knew me before I met Rachel and was married. Well, I am so much more of a man because I've met Rachel than I was be- before I met Rachel. I, I can't believe I would be anything of the person that I am today had I not met Rachel. She has made so much more of a person of me. And so I just appeal to you, those who are courting, this is one of the ways you can measure, is our relationship healthy? Do you feel you're more of a person in that sense that they bring the best out of you, they bring your strengths, you grow in confidence, you are able to share your love with many, many people? You know, it's not just, well, you know, to just spend all our time just looking after ourselves. No, you, you're, oh, the overflow of that relationship blesses many and waters many around you. This is a sign of... Health in a relationship. So, running out of time, verbal and non-verbal, there's, there's speaking positively about each other. Can I urge you to do this? Even when things are tough, speak positively about each other. There's so much you can verbalize to one another. Thank people. Thank your wife. Thank your husband regularly. Don't take them for granted. Say the words. Thank you. Thank you for my Chicken and bacon sandwich when I took the kids to Disneyland the other day, Rachel. Thank you. As I sat there enduring Goofy and Mickey Mouse and... You made me a lovely sandwich. (laughs) And I'm grateful. 
you know, just, and finding other ways to communicate. What are the, the, the little signals, the touches, the glances, the body language that you'll just be able to reaffirm and reassure each other? Hey, no, you know, you're special and you're precious and you're valuable. And uh, I want to find every way to express that to you in a way that doesn't weird out my children. <laughs> Comfortable. <laughs> Comfortable and confrontational. We're just at ease to be ourselves, but we can talk about the tough stuff as well when we need to. You know, finding, um, you know, confrontation is good. If, if we only ever talk about the problems that we have in our relationships, you know, sometimes it's nice just to sit and be together. You know, and there was times in our marriage when, when Rachel would utter these words, you know, Morris, we need to talk. <laughs> it's like, oh. Can we just be, you know? And, and you know, sometimes just, just be. Just remember what it means to be. I, I'm very good at running from the we need to talk things, but eventually I find I can't hide. <laughs> I have to have the conversation eventually. But sometimes it's important just to keep celebrating what is good, what is pleasurable, what is enjoyable, and find the right moment and the right time to have the conversation uh, that might need to be had. But you can't. Again, just look at your whole relationship through the lens of that. Find the right moment and the right time to say those things. Marriage, flexible and fixed. You know, we're flexible, always finding fresh ways to enjoy our relationship. Always finding what are the what are we going to do? What are the targets this year? What do we want to do this year? What's important for us? Being flexible, not just going through stale routines. But at the same time, being fixed, making it clear that you're committed to one another. Don't leave it to imagination. I told you about a famous story of my friend, the fireman, who uh, said to his wife, I told you when we got married that I love you, and if the situation changes, I'll let you know. And that is not recommended advice. <laughs> we need to constantly find ways. My wife, again, she's very good at this. Every, the last words I hear when my head hits the pillow every night is, oh, no, you're going to cheese you out, aren't they? So, I love you, Morris. I love you. It's always the last, it's the last words I hear every night when my head hits the pillow. And I go, oh, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take it for granted. Keep saying it. Keep finding the ways to communicate that, okay? So here we go. Let's finish now. There's not many perfect marriages if there are any I'd love to see them let me know <laughs> if yours is the perfect marriage can we dissect it and have a look how it works none of our marriages are working 100% all the time so take the pressure off yourself sometimes, I think sometimes when things are a bit tough this is the problem of being emotionally driven if you're emotionally driven you can only think about the day it comes back to what I was saying earlier you know, um, in, in a previous sermon about not, being emotion, not allowing our emotions to be the driver because you just think about the day just think about what happened today. How do I feel today? You know, um, you've got to take the big picture. You're going to hit rough patches. It's going to happen. You will come through it if you want to. You will. You will come through it. You'll bring each other through. You can do that. Okay. But uh, at the same time, don't make assumptions. Don't settle for routine. Make it your aim to keep meditating on your marriage. How to keep it fresh how to keep it alive. And more than anything else, as as my closing comment, you know, we love because he first loved us. Okay? 
So the key to a healthy marriage is that you are keeping yourself in the love of God. And as you keep yourself in the love of God, so you are able to love those that God has, has joined you with. So you draw on his love through a loving relationship with Jesus by his Holy Spirit. So my last question, just to provoke us, what kind of married love are you modeling? What, what, think about what kind of married love are you modeling to your children, to your workmates, to your neighborhoods in a culture that is giving up where we have the highest ratios of children in uh, broken families of any other nation in the West? What are we modeling of what it means to be married with realism but also with romance in a fixed in our commitment but flexible in how we're investing in one another and all of these things thank you for listening to audio from hope church ipswich please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way